That's like a picture of two worlds right there, having done our dances for VBS and then singing a song from the TLH <laughs> is remarkable, but also shows, I mean, that's who we are as a congregation from many different generations and different backgrounds, and uh, sometimes it's really strange when we do them all together like that. The um, reason why we do uh, practice our song together is because we decided uh, uh, six summers ago, now that I realize it, that our VBS was not going to be just for kids anymore. It was going to be for everybody of all ages. Because frankly, even the oldest among us likes to dance around and sing sometimes. And why not do it while we're completely embarrassing ourselves? Um, and so th uh, this year, we're doing that where we have everything for all ages, including during VBS, uh, a time where we'll be studying as adults, we'll be studying the life of Joseph. And we decided to, uh, co uh, to combine this with a sermon series. You'll notice on the front of your bulletin, on the, after the beautiful cover that was made for us, on the inside, there's actually even a reading suggestion for your week uh, to go through the story of Joseph. So please do take this home. It's also in uh, the Lamgrams, or our newsletter is listed out there. Each week we'll put out the suggestion, and it'll cover the basis between our, the sermon before and the next sermon to come. And the reason for this is because looking at the life of Joseph, it's really hard to pick what to preach about. Uh, his life uh, has so many different points that are interesting and something for us to apply to daily life. So it was really hard for uh, Marcus and myself to sit down and try and figure out, well, what on earth should we actually talk about? And so we thought, well, it's good for everybody to do a little work with us. So here's your work. Read, read between the weeks, uh, or between the uh, Sundays. There's just short little excerpts, and it'll be well worth your time. When I was, when I was younger, uh, in the first grade, in fact, my teacher had this box that sat on the windowsill where the, the light from the day would come in. So you couldn't help but be distracted as you turned towards it. And that box would sit there all week. And it had, it had on the outside kind of what must be contact paper. Do you remember contact paper? My grandmother had all her cabinets layered in contact paper. That's how I recognized it. And, and the contact paper, so you couldn't tell what the box actually was. But every week, at the end of the Friday of that week, we each got to go around and guess what was in that box. And one person got to go forward in the class and shake it. <laughs> and after hearing the shaking, we all had to take turns and guess. We got one guess each week, each of us, what it was. And after everybody guessed, she pulled it out. And sometimes it was a very sincere and wonderful thing. Sometimes it was a knick-knack from McDonald's. Uh, I'm actually still not sure what the lesson was out of this box. Probably soaked up a lot of valuable time on Friday when the kids couldn't understand. Uh, either way, it was always a mystery. And it captivated me all week long, knowing that there was something more inside that box. And there was something to that box. And I couldn't wait to find out what exactly it was. Because there was always something more inside that box. The story of Joseph shows us that there is always something more. 
First, we get a picture of a family that isn't exactly the modern American family we would hope for. In fact, the stories around this family are rather concerning. And it goes through generation to generation to generation. It begins with Abraham, who uh, waits till a very old age to have kids and, and is then willing to sacrifice his son on an altar. And then it goes to Isaac, who had his own problems that he had to deal with as well, including dealing with children who fought, even so much fought within the womb of the mother, and then stole the birthright and the inheritance. And just like his father, Jacob played favorites. So much so that all the other brothers knew exactly who the favorite was. Now, you might be a child from a family that had many kids. And I'm guessing right now you're probably remembering who your parents' favorite kid was. And it almost always wasn't you. No matter who you are, that's always the case. These brothers, however, were never left to the imagination about this. It was very obvious that Joseph was the favorite, and Joseph knew it. And if it wasn't already public knowledge, Joseph was given this amazing robe. I think the modern understanding of it is a technicolor robe. A robe of many colors, or a robe with many decorations on it. And he could wear it. And this robe let him stay as some sort of office that he had. So that when he walked about the house in his, I guess, bathrobe or robe of some sort, <laughs> everybody knew that Joseph, Joseph held the office of favorite son. The brothers conspired. Notice that in this text, the text that we just read coming out of Genesis, that three times, in just a matter of 11 verses, three times it is mentioned that the brothers hated. Think about that word, hate. I pray that that word does not leave your mouth. But three times it is mentioned that the brothers hated Joseph. And it's hard to see maybe why at first it was. Well, it's just who is the favorite. But remember the dynamics of that time. That as a younger child, he was definitely not supposed to be the favorite. That everything was based upon age then. We don't have much understanding of that today, and that certainly comes through in our society, and that is a shame in some ways. But here, the eldest was supposed to be of stature and of importance and was supposed to be the favorite, but that wasn't the case here. It was flipping everything on its end. Suddenly, this rug rat, 17 years old, was the favorite. And this hatred began with the fourth word that's used towards the, towards the end. Jealousy. The brothers were jealous. They were jealous of the attention that came to Joseph. 
They were jealous of the way that he was treated by his father. And jealousy, as we know, is a very powerful emotion. Jealousy is a very powerful sin. And when jealousy is able to actually take root in our lives, do you know what it turns into? It turns into hate. Hate of yourself. Hate of others. Hate of those that are above you. Even hate towards God. Why, why don't I have that? Why am I the one who this is always happening to? Why? Question found deeply in the sin of jealousy. We compare ourselves all the time to others. We become like the brothers of Joseph. Instead of living with their father and rejoicing in the gifts that they have, they buy into the very sin that Jacob himself was first living in, and they carry it on as jealousy. And we wind up with a family that is so dysfunctional that the brothers come to a hatred that is so deep that they're willing to kill or sell off their brother into slavery. 1 John 3 says that anybody who carries hate in their heart is simply a murderer. Proverbs 29 says that anybody who hates is as good as bloodthirsty towards those who are righteous and upright. Certainly, we know that hatred can do awful and terrible things, and it never represents what our Lord has done. It never represents who our Lord is. But yet we easily give in to the temptation of jealousy, that leads to hate and anger. Even the story that comes to us today out of the Gospels, where these two brothers within the disciples feel that they are worthy enough to ask such a thing as being placed at the right and the left hand of our Savior. To go forward to ask such a question, and they hear coming from the Lord basically what it amounts to it. No. But after that, do you know what that question caused? Do you know what happened with the rest of the disciples? Jealousy and hatred. To where they begin to snipe at each other. And disunity comes into the very classroom of our Lord. They become like, they become like the eleven brothers of Joseph. Paul warns that we are here not to be people who snipe at one another and biting because within that biting, we eventually will devour all of ourselves. And maybe some of us have even seen this happen within church communities. Maybe some of us have even seen this happen within families. 
All of us have experienced this happening within friendships. Jealousy turning into hatred is a powerful and it is a deadly thing. In this story, it very clearly began to lead down a path of death for Joseph. Well, let's quickly not forget that Joseph here isn't really an innocent victim in this, is he? Joseph is 17. And he's given a gift of these two wonderful dreams that come from the Lord, we assume, right? And how does he use these dreams? Is it for the benefit of the Lord? Is it to go out and proclaim maybe what might be in store for the future? Or is it to put on his robe? To go before his brothers and even his father and point out that one day they all are going to be serving Joseph. Who was it who wasn't really ready for the message that was coming? Was it Joseph or was it the brothers or was it all? It really was all in this story. We all come across people like Joseph, certainly in our workplace, certainly in our families. There's always one brother, after all, that we have to deal with. Nobody seems to escape that. Marcus and I have talked about even even within our ministerium, within the brotherhood of the pastors, there are oftentimes Josephs who like to put on their robes and like to bring the attention to them. You see here in this story, we have two people, his brothers and Joseph, and all of them struggling to receive what it is that the Lord has done. They fail to actually ask the question, what does this mean? Is there more to this? If they had had their hearts in a place where they were willing and able to receive from the Lord the words that He had, they would have been able to look into the future and to see the ways that God had in store for them. That one day Joseph would be able to provide, literally provide food for his family. That there was a famine coming and there was a way that they were going to be preserved and taken care of. That there would be a time when their people would be enslaved in this very Egypt that they were going to be going off to. But do not worry. Do not fret. The Lord would not forget His people and He would bring them out of Egypt. They never asked the question. They never looked at the box on the windowsill and asked, what is there more inside? we don't get that luxury. We do ask that question. We ask that question because the mystery of the gospel has opened up that answer to us completely. That there is always more. That even in seeing people like Joseph and people like Abraham and like Isaac and Jacob, That the Lord has this crazy idea to keep using the imperfect for His will. 
that He actually comes to people like you and me, ones who are prone to hate and prone to be jealous. Ones who sometimes even consider murder in our own hearts. And still loves them. Still uses them. Still sees them as His. There is more. So that we, with our eyes, when we look at the cross, we see more than just two beings. We see a sign of sacrifice to the point of bringing us forgiveness. We do see more with our eyes. When we come up to here and we take bread and we take wine, and we not just see a supper, but we know of a presence of a God who goes from this place with us. We know that there is more, because when we see with our own eyes the water here in this baptismal font, We know of grace being poured out like living water for us. And when we hear stories like Joseph, when we have stories of our own like Joseph, we know there is more. We know. We know there is a story that brings us promise. That even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of being thrown into a pit, our God has not abandoned us. He's not left us. We fall into our own pits of our own making all the time. Either from donning on our own robes and prancing around looking for attention. Or maybe we're the ones who have the hatred breeding in our heart. Maybe our pit is made of cancer. Maybe the pit we've fallen in is continued unemployment. Maybe it is suffering in a marriage that we just can't put it together. But we know that there's more. We know that there's promises that have been given to us in the Gospel of Christ. You see, Paul says very clearly in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For all of creation waits eagerly, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage, its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. We can be like Joseph, not just in the way that we behave, but we can be like Joseph where suddenly we find ourselves in the pits. We find ourselves on the outs with our families, on the outs with our society, on the outs. And we find ourselves like Joseph, in that we are led from all of that to be closer with God. Certainly this pit that eventually Joseph is thrown in was probably not what the Lord had in mind. Certainly the anger and hatred that welled up 
within the hearts of all the brothers was not what the Lord had in mind. The Lord deals in life. He destroys death. He doesn't promote it. But even in the midst of that tragedy, in the midst of that sin by others, we see that in the future, a man comes out of that who is very faithful, who promotes the things of God, who is able to forgive people who desired his death. When we're in the pit, we certainly don't want to hear that message. And many times, the own tragedies in our personal life, or maybe even the tragedies we hear about nationally. We know that there is more. That the Lord somehow will use those things for good. We don't know how, we don't know when. But we do know His promise. We do know what the meaning of this crossing. We do know what the meaning of this supper is, what the meaning of this water is. We do know what the meaning of his word is. We know, just as the psalm writer knew, that he can reach down into those pits for us and bring us out. We know that one day he will establish our feet and set them below. We know that he promises to use the likes of me and the likes of you. The Lord is promised, and He is good, and He's always promising there to be more. Amen?